Einstein and Sock Monkey, episode 16, One Less Thing, recorded August 24th, Welcome to Einstein and Sock Monkey, the podcast for web geeks and website owners. My name is Steve Martin, and we have Ron Zazadinsky, as usual, one of our uh, other hosts, and we have special guest, almost regular guest, uh, John Walters <laughs> this week, of course. Hey, John. Hi. Good to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you. Thank Glad you. Glad you're still hanging out for a while. Mm-hmm. So what's new I with you, Steve? Oh, um, it's hot today. It is very hot today. <laughs> Steve, Steve uh, by the way, hot. Steve has mentioned this no less than 18 times since he walked in the door. <laughs> did, I, ago. did I? Did I? Did <laughs> Yeah. Steve rides his bike everywhere, which is very commendable and uh, admirable, although I am not jealous on a day like today. <laughs> <laughs> those are very different things. Yes, those yeah. are very different things. I am the slacker, but I have my air-conditioned car. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting really good at avoiding the um, grasshoppers on the bike path. Oh. It's so hot outside, they're just all out sunning themselves in the bike path. Wow. The worst part is when one jumps on your leg and grabs on. It's really Does creepy. It <laughs> no, it doesn't hurt. It's like, ah! <laughs> I just about crash every time. But Wow. Other than that, it's fine. <laughs> so. But I was going to ask you about Ignite. You want to, when's that coming up? You want to give yeah, a little plug? Yeah, sure, because this should be up soon. So, yes, Ignite Fort Collins number nine is on Thursday, September 8th. Number nine already? Number nine. Good grief. Number nine. Are you going to be here for that, Not anymore. No, oh, unfortunately, I'm going to be missing that by a handful of days. Okay. Well, you can catch it on YouTube later, right? Yes, oh, we, will. Will, we will be live streaming. Okay. Uh, so that has been confirmed. And cool. so we'll have a link on the website, which I don't know if the live stream link is there yet, but we'll have that before the event. Tickets go on sale tomorrow, and we're doing pre-sales of the sponsored tickets at $25, 10 or $5. And then on September 1st, free tickets go on sale. Ah, cool. And yes. the website is? And the website is IgniteFortCollins.com. And cool. if you get a $25 ticket, you also get a 100% organic cotton t-shirt with your Ignite, Ignite Fort Collins logo cool. made by hand screen printed in three colors by local clothing company Aikens. Ah, Aikens. So you're awesome. supporting two great things, the Ignite event and a local clothing company. So That's cool. Suzanne does cool stuff. Yes, she does. She does uh, clothing for skateboarding, snowboarding, mm-hmm. that general lifestyle of activity. And we can plug her site. It's Aikens, A-K-I-N-Z dot com. Correct. Right? And I believe on Twitter she's Aikens Boardwear. Yeah. Which is amazing that that fits under the <laughs> character <laughs> limit. I know. But it does. Yeah. I, I love Ignite. I think we're gonna, we haven't been the last couple. You're going to try to make this one? To, I think we're going to go to this one. Oh, cool. It's a lot of fun. It. Yeah. Cool. No, we've all spoken at it at least once. Yes, this is true. So. Mm. Hmm. Ignite alumni. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we have to the show today. We're going to hit several news items today. We don't have any um, feature, 
But since all three of us have, you know, plenty of news items to talk about, that's basically what we're going to do. So I say we go ahead and jump on into it. Sounds good. Okay, Ron, you're first. <clears throat> so my first uh, item is a blog entry by Luke Robluski uh, from this month titled Apple's Overloaded iPhone Button. And I thought it was interesting because there's some discussion, given that this is a you know a usability podcast in sure. part, uh, and there's some discussion about Apple removing the home button, possibly, and there's rumors, on the next edition of one of their devices. And so there's been speculation, you know, is that really going to be true or not? But in part of that discussion, Luke created this blog post, and he listed more than 13 actions that the home button accomplishes uh, so it's it's a pretty interesting list if you take a look through it. And so the, the kind of the bottom line question that he had was, how on earth would gestures replace all of those actions that are accomplished by a single button? Seems unlikely. Hmm. Yeah, I've I've thought about the no button on the an iOS device. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't really get that because there are too many. There are many times that it, where for whatever reason. Not many times, sometimes, where the the touch screen, the the capacitive thing, just isn't working for me. Mm-hmm. You know, and like if I have gloves on, oh yeah, for it doesn't the work. Biggie, doesn't work, obviously. Right. Um, sometimes I try to go to answer the phone, and my finger sliding across doesn't work. Right. Yeah. I've read it because I've read up the reason is because the phone has maybe exactly the same charge as your fingers for some uh. reason because it's been in your pocket or whatever. So you know, removing a button completely, I don't think makes sense. Yeah, seems unlike. And there's certain features that you need a heart button for, like the voice dial, right? You push and hold for three True. seconds, and it brings up the voice commands. Um, I use that driving because I'm not gonna, you know, fiddle with dialing a number. So I use that all the time. I could see that if they remove a button, I, I would find myself using the headphones. The button on the headphones a lot. <laughs> right, right, and I do use that for answering calls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, but on that list, there were two that I didn't even know about, two features. So I put these in the show notes. So I want to know if you guys knew about these. So one was when you're in the force quit apps mode. Mm-hmm. You guys know about the force mm-hmm. quit apps mode? Wow, yeah. I guess I'm just behind the times. I didn't even know about that, but I figured it out, right? I mean, you go to the double tap to bring up the right. apps right in the background and, and push and down. hold like you're going to move them and you get the minus sign, right. which shut will down. force shut. I didn't know that. That will be very handy. That will be, yes. <laughs> Because there are times when I have a location-aware app that's running, like one of my GPS yeah. apps, mm-hmm. and I've gotten to the destination and it's still running, and sucks that really battery. sucks the battery yeah. down. Mm-hmm. And so I've been silly, silly apparently, uh, shutting the phone down and rebooting the whole phone to kill it. Oh, bummer. <laughs> I know. So now I have that. And then the other one, this is kind of weird. I'm not sure what the purpose of this is, but if you're in any app and you hold down the power button until the phone power-off slider shows... And then instead of using that, instead, go and push the home button. It will get you out of the app and back to the home screen. That's interesting. I've never so that I, before. I could, once in a while, I get a hold of a buggy app or whatever mm-hmm. that I, just locks me up. I guess that's what it would be for, huh, is if the app just locked up and wouldn't let you out somehow. If but just I, pushing the home yeah. button didn't work by itself. I am surprised that there are 13 actions for one button. <laughs> that's pretty I mean, 
impressive in a way. <laughs> <laughs> it is, but that's a lot of learning that you have to do. Well, I mean, it's not in exactly case in point. I've owned iPhones since the very first iPhone one of yeah. October two thousand seven or whatever. I got it not right when it came out, but shortly after, yeah. and, and I never knew those two features. Wow. Not that I know everything about iPhones, I don't. But I usually read the little guide that comes with the new versions, and I never heard about that. Hmm. Weird. That's the the that's the old or classic problem of discoverability. Yes. Yeah. So you, if, if you word. play around with it, you might not find these functions. Mm-hmm. And I realized when I saw that uh, the button has thirteen functions, that reminded me of a, of an older blog post I wrote um, because I was playing around with a with a button on the iPhone's cable. You know, if you have that little button in the microphone unit right and uh, i'm not talking about the volume buttons but the that that single button that you can use to uh, accept a phone call or hang up and everything right and i think i found at least well at least uh, i did find 11 functions for that alone wow and and there were some things that depended on the mode so i think it was like a double click on that Mm -hmm. thing when when a song was playing Mm -hmm. advances was was I'm not, I'm not even sure what it meant, but uh, it could yeah, be advance or, or go to the back. Next and three clicks. Is that goes going back? back. Mm-hmm. And exactly. That, um, thanks for reminding me because the interesting thing about that triple click is if you do that within the, I think, first five seconds of the song, it'll go back to the previous song. Right. But <laughs> if the song has been playing for more than five seconds, it goes back to the currently playing song. Exactly. So you have to repeat that. Exactly. And of course, there's no indication what mode you're in. And <laughs> as I told you before we started recording, sure those modes often are very evil. Mm-hmm. So um, then again, what I like about the button is that is basically the one prominent hardware feature on the device. And judging from how my mom uses her iPhone, it's so helpful to find that one user element that always almost reliably takes you back to a It's known a security location. blanket. Exactly. It's like a, exactly it's like a home it link on a website. It's like you right. got to have that. Yeah, exactly. some way to orient yourself if you're lost. Right. Cuz doing usability testing sessions anytime anyone gets lost or not anytime yeah. but the majority <laughs> of the time they click on home because they okay, reorient, where am I? Start over. It's right. kind of the, the iPhone's panic button. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah. And of course, uh, another aspect is accessibility. I mean, I love all these multi-finger gestures. But if for some reason you don't have all your fingers on one hand, you won't be able to use them. Or have partial fingers or Exactly. Or maybe some kind of paralysis and they can't use them as as quote unquote normal people do. And the home button is so easy to use because it's it's just a very simple control. Yeah. Yeah, I had a hillbilly uncle that had two fingers on his right hand. I'm not joking. Wow, he, did, he wasn't very safe with saws. <laughs> he lost three of them. <laughs> wow, I've, I've met. He had his pinky and his thumb. It was who's an interesting person. Oh my god! So he could still do the hanging gesture. He lived, lived in the hills <laughs> permanently. He lived in the hills of Arkansas. Had a snake for a pet. Oh my god, a snake for a well, pet. What yeah. was the snake's name? I don't remember. Oh, I remember he. We were we were there, and his wife was like, "Honey, let's have chicken for supper." So <laughs> he goes on the back porch. And just gets his gun out and shoots a chicken that's running by. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> yes, this is my family, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you've, you've cleaned up quite a bit. <laughs> See, we have a really wide range of topics on this uh, yeah. web design. <laughs> oh, right, right. Sorry. Sorry, we're trying to... Yeah. We digress. <clears throat> Moving on. But okay, hey, it's, it's related to usability. There you go. There you yeah. go, yeah. So, uh, John, you have the next news item. Okay, let me see what I got. Oh, yeah, I, I personally think this is a big one because... I like diversity in a market, and uh, I like it if there's not one company that dominates a market. So when I heard that 
uh, Hewlett Packard will stop building the touchpad uh, and also will stop building the uh, WebOS phones there in Prey 3. I was kind of surprised because I remember that in episode, I think number, was it 13 or 14, whatever, yeah. that we um, covered the HP touchpad and there were some really neat features that we were kind right. of excited about. Yeah. And I think in terms of style and, and looks and, and feel, I I really like WebOS. Um, and it kind of baffles me that only six months, uh, six six weeks, six months, see, uh, um, that only six weeks after the introduction or the announcement uh, that HP is going to stop building these devices. And as they say, um, they will explore options for WebOS itself. So the, the hardware devices, the three are not going to be built anymore, but what will happen to WebOS is still open. And yeah. interestingly, they, they offer them, I think, for 99 bucks now. And if you go to the website, uh, they're currently out of stock. And uh, it's it's kind of weird because you think, well, if you stop building them, what's the point of claiming that it's out of stock? Will you build <laughs> just take it ones? off? <laughs> you know, just while, where you're, while you're at it, while the production line is still up, you know, just build a few new ones. So that's, yeah, that's I, a disappointment. I, did you get ever to play around with an uh, WebOS device? Unfortunately, uh, not hands-on, but I watched many. Yeah, I've, always, I've wanted. On yeah, yeah I, I'm the same boat. I I'm kind of bummed as well, uh-huh. just because of the competition aspect right. of it. Um, not that I was going to buy one, which mm-hmm. is probably why they shut it down because Steve Martin wasn't going to buy one. But <laughs> um, it's all about Steve, <laughs> the decisive factor here. But it, from everything I saw and from every all the reviews I heard, where it was, yeah, it's not great. As I mean, it's not as good as an I've mm-hmm. iOS experience, but it's a, the best thing to it, the next best thing. Mm-hmm. So it, it's going to be interesting what see what happens because if they sell that, you know, the, they're shutting down their PC mm-hmm. division or selling it off possibly. Right. Maybe they're going to sell that with it and somebody else might pick it up and go. I know, but it seems like they've kind of shot themselves in the foot because, you know, the WebOS team is a highly specialized team of people and Mm -hmm. supposedly they're already being poached by Microsoft because of their talent. And and what incentive do you have to stay at HP if you're on the WebOS team and you get a great offer from somewhere? Totally. I'd be looking immediately. I'd be looking. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And so then you, you know, you decimate that team. And then, then you have less value to sell, or someone picks it up. You know, you know it's it's the people as much as the product, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's a lot of times. That's why people buy companies, or so you you hear. Mm-hmm. Apple buys X Y Z company for mm-hmm. the people, for the talent, and the in the, the intellectual property, or whatever. Exactly. So I, I have I I hope that someone will revive WebOS in some fashion and really make it into something wonderful. And build hardware that will run it well, um, but given the way they've handled it so far, I am not that hopeful that that will happen. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. fear, I fear it will die on the vine. But for now, it's something we don't have to worry about. This is true. One <laughs> less device to have to <laughs> no more developing program and test for, for WebOS. <laughs> but w- would you buy one at that price cut? I mean, I think it was six hundred dollars before that, and now it's down 99. to ninety nine. Would you buy it if you knew that it that the support is at least flaky for now that you didn't know the future of the sure. If I I would buy one just to have, just even if I knew the support was gone for ninety nine bucks. I mean, so that you know what it feels like hands on and. Yeah, well, even just for just to have an extra tablet device around the house, because a lot of what what I do with my iPad is web browsing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so I could browse on that just as easy. I mean, I'm I'm sure. So 
And plus, in 99 bucks, I can let the kids play with that that way. <laughs> yeah, something happened to it. It's not quite the, the loss of yeah. something it's else. It's just in HP. <laughs> uh, someone was telling me, was it was it you, John? Somebody was telling me the other day they were at, an, at the airport at Denver International and they saw a child throw an iPad 20 feet across no. the concourse and it survived. Oh, <laughs> in a case? I, I, that I was not able to confirm. Oh, wow. That's that's scary. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever it was that was telling me the story said they were just in, in horror, like in shock, like they couldn't believe this was happening. It's sailing across. Yeah, my daughter dropped my iPad down about five stairs at home. Oof. And it, Any it was okay. It was in a case. Oh, good. Yeah, kids don't touch iOS devices without a case. Wise. <laughs> <laughs> that's the rule in our house. That's a good rule. Well, iPad related, by the way, the, my, the, the news story that I have is... I was excited about this. I didn't even know, but Adaptive Path has released an iPad app. And, and what does that do? I saw your news item and yeah. I was intrigued by that. Steve is um, pulling it out of his bag here. Uh, sorry, I'm ill-prepared for my news item. Okay, Adaptive Path web... Well, of course, I'm not connected to the Wi-Fi, but I'll, I'll give you the, the view of it. Basically, what it does is, you know, Adaptive Path does UX design, but they also have a ton of... They have UX Week every year. Yep, the conference. And they have wonderful conference. You should all go. What else do they have? They have UX Week and MX. What is it called? MX something. MX. I guess it's just hmm. yeah. There, there's Midwest workshops, Experience Design. Yeah, yeah. And so they've had each of those since 2008. And mm-hmm. so the iPad app allows you to. It's basically a one-stop shop for. You know, nice, pretty, huh? Mm, um, nice design. For all of the uh, talks, they have oh, videoed every cool. single UX week talk. That's nice because I've gone to their blog and, and had to hunt for those. Yeah. Because um, there's some good ones. And they're the really good ones from 2008, 2009, and 2010 and when it comes along, 2011. And from the MX conference, um, 8, 9, 10, and 11 as well. But awesome uh, talks from everybody you can imagine. Yeah, and, Don, Don Norman was the keynote. In one of those years, maybe in nine oh nine, yeah, I'm not sure, roughly, give or take, might have been oh eight. So it, yeah, it it's be just a really, and it has a great user experience, of course. Um, and I don't have a three G iPad, so you're not gonna. Have, it's you have to have a connection. It's not. It doesn't download them all to your app, but um, yeah, I just wanted to see the list of um, uh, speakers. Yeah, I think it was oh eight because uh, uh, Bruce Sterling was there and gave a talk, the EndNote talk. Yeah. But yeah, the, 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 all their stuff is always so good, and I and I'm really glad that it's it's nice one stop shop for that all that content. So I would highly recommend, uh, yeah, check out the Don Norman talk from 2008. It's Peter Merholz, uh speaks with Don Norman. Yeah, uh, and it's a fantastic talk. You were there for that. I right? was lucky to be there live for that one. Yeah. Yeah. Was, cool. I remember seeing someone comment. Uh, it was either in a forum or on Twitter, and saying. <laughs> I couldn't believe this. And he said that Don Normal's book, Design of Everyday Things, is not relevant anymore. And I thought, <laughs> oh my God, he so doesn't get it. I mean, um, too bad we don't of have course any the examples are, anymore. The examples are completely outdated. If you look at a at an old phone, for example, and it, it looks really clunky, but the the principles described in that book, I mean, if if you don't think that those are relevant in general and will be quite relevant for some time to come, okay, then, that's a great I don't know. Book. Yeah, that's an outstanding book. I think if if you want to learn the what the underlying things of, of usability <laughs> in general, that's a good book to start. 
Definitely. And Emotional Design is also a great book by mm-hmm. Don Norman as well. There's lots of lots of good things in there. And uh, I think there's one kind of really... He, oh, he, he, he makes some very good points and there's some studies that he talks, or a study he talks about in there about why the design of a thing, you know, why the, the aesthetic, what, what we would call aesthetics... Mm-hmm makes a difference in usability mm-hmm. in that um, if something is attractive, um, yes, mm-hmm. you, the u- users are actually more likely to work through issues with the device, more which actually yeah. makes yeah. it more usable. So more mm-hmm. people are able to complete the tasks happily when it looks nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, he talks about the study in there. So it's a really interesting point. And that's one of the arguments I use for you know well-designed websites and why they actually do matter. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'll have a link in the show notes to the to their iPad app, but you could also go to the uh, the App Store and store, search, app store. search for it. Just search for Adaptive Path, and you'll be good. Cool. So uh, my next news item is a Google, a Google Chrome tip for when developing web apps. Found this on the Think Vitamin blog, um, and uh, I've, I use this for various things already, um, but. Their, their point was a kind of interesting one, that when you're developing a web app, um, often you want to test things in both the logged in state and the logged out state. Right, The logged mm-hmm. out state is going to be how the public would see that or interact with your, right. your app and your content. And so um, as most of you probably know, Google has an incognito mode where you can run an instance of Chrome um, in this incognito mode, which by default, when you first launch it, you're in a logged out state. Uh, so the incognito mode... Um, is a fresh browser session with no saved cookies, uh, and that's how that starts off. So what I've been using it for is Google Plus. You know, I'm logged into Google Apps and I use Chrome as my primary browser. I'm in there as Google Apps, but they haven't yet connected Google Plus to Google Apps, right? right? So, and I also haven't hooked up the multiple user login. I understand if I did that, this would not be an issue. So I guess really what this is saying is I'm just lazy. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I'll run a second instance then of Chrome in incognito mode and log in into Google Plus, and then I can just toggle between the two windows. I do that exact same thing. Oh, do you? For Google Chrome and for my, I've I have my own Google Apps thing as we've, as we've discussed before, and the, and at work we have a Google Apps that everybody at work uh, uses, and I have a different so login for that. Right. And except except when people come up behind me and they're like. Why do you got the incognito mode, Steve? <laughs> right. What are you looking at? Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, have you ever used that? Do you use Chrome? Chrome? I hardly ever use Chrome. I'm pretty happy with Safari and Firefox. Uh, so you don't care about speed when it comes to browsers, then? <laughs> I'm about to switch back to Safari. Are you? This latest version of Chrome is killing me. Really? It keeps doing the oh, snap page where. It's Locks up. And it does happen more dies. in this version than others. I don't know what's going on with yeah, that. Yeah, I, I even heard Leo Laporte mention that in oh, the, wow. the last Mac Brick Weekly, I believe it was. I've noticed and that too. Totally noticed that. I've noticed that it too. Me off. Hmm. It is faster than Safari. Sorry, John. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I feel really bad right now. <laughs> <laughs> Ruined your day. Uh, and there's a keyboard shortcut to launch this mode. So that was the new thing I learned. Did not know about this. That if you do on a Macintosh Command Shift New window, you know Command Shift N, to, instead of just Command N to launch a new oh, window, right. Command Shift N will launch a new window, separate window in incognito mode immediately. So it's cool. super quick. And on the Windows, it's a Control Shift N. 
Cool. So that's really handy to, to spawn a new one. And then in the comments, there are two of the comments on this blog post, and someone else pointed out that in Opera has the same mode and it lets you have one window with multiple tabs, some of which are in incognito mode and some of which are in public mode. That, that I would like. Yeah, that I would like. Because switching between the windows is a little trickier. I mean, command tilde will do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I keep hitting command tab because I'm, you do that to right. switch apps. And yeah. And who knows what a tilde is for anyway? <laughs> exactly. Who named that thing anyway? <laughs> <laughs> do you have any Spanish friends? If you did, maybe not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we apologize to all of our Spanish listeners <laughs> and other foreign languages that use tildes frequently. Oh, that, right. Other yes. languages, whatever. <laughs> but, but, but in that case, they're like part of a character, right? They're like an, like an accent like, over a yeah, character. Exactly. But the tilde on the keyboard doesn't do that, right? That's just, it's just sitting out there as a separate character. Um, you can use no, it for, it's not. It's a modifier key. Well, it's not a really a modifier key, but there are these kinds of keys like the accents. If you, if you uh, press them, then they are added to the next character you type. Mm. Well, you, you can use it for the about, like about... 20 minutes long. Oh, yeah. Or whatever. And I've seen it used for ranges. Yeah. Like really? from one to five. And, but for that, of course, you use an N dash. That's the typographically correct Who's choice. Who's in N dash? Absolutely. <laughs> well, I prefer M dashes. <laughs> Which are not used for ranges. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I saw this wonderful yeah. blog post by a, by a true typography geek, and he was explaining when to use N dashes, when to use hyphens, when to use M dashes, and I like that. It's, I, I like it because... I always enjoy it when people pay so much attention to details that mm-hmm. you have never really yeah, realized are there. Point. I actually didn't realize there was a difference between a hyphen and an N dash. Yes, the hyphen is a little bit shorter, not much. Huh. So you, I think you, you type, well, on, on, the, on my Mac keyboard, I'm not sure. No, you have a different layout because I have the German keyboard. So the hyphen key, if you use it with an option, I think it's the N dash. And with option shift, it's the M dash. Hmm. So same key, but three different widths, so to speak. I learned more new things today. Yes. Holy cow. Oh, I just oh, put in, in the Google Docs of, there by his name. By just John's blew name. up. Yeah, by the way, I got a Google Docs error. <laughs> Are you using oh, Chrome? <laughs> uh, I am. <laughs> Are you using well, cloud apps? I, I never native? knew there were three I am. <laughs> different lengths of the dash. How about I've that? I've learned something new today. It's in the show See, notes. Yeah. We have a sample. Yes, there's a sample. <laughs> we'll leave it there. And well, speaking I, might of... Not, might not make it over to WordPress, though. Speaking of those keyboard shortcuts you mentioned, um, one of my absolute most favorite features in terms of online help with applications, native or web, is if there is a standalone help page or even a standalone document, even though I prefer the help page, that lists all the available keyboard shortcuts. Mm -hmm. There are some applications that have that, and it's so awesome because it's not like, oh, it's not just only about realizing that there is a keyboard shortcut for a certain feature you use a lot. Yeah, you can but learn. You, you can learn the ones, and you don't have to discover yeah, I'm a, them. I'm through. a big keyboard shortcut Me, guy. I enjoy them exactly. too. Exactly, and you might find features that you hadn't even known existed, plus mm-hmm. the keyboard shortcut. So I really like that. And if you have an application that has tons of shortcuts, uh, like let's say Final Cut or, or Logic, uh, there's an absolutely stunning keyboard shortcut editor in Logic. So it shows you if you press a keyboard shortcut, what short, what that shortcut is for. It has grouping and has oh, it's so wonderful. What well, one thing about as we continue to digress a little bit further, <laughs> keyboard, what? last thing I'm going to say has <laughs> never happened on this podcast <laughs> is that well, it, this is a usability thing, and c- it's consistency to me is one of the biggest fault uh, 
problems with usability in general. Sure. Um, and I use uh, Adobe's CS5 stuff all the time at work. And I ha- I'll have Illustrator open, and I've learned the keyboard shortcuts for a lot of the tools, like V is the pointer and, and et cetera. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but then I switch over to Fireworks to, to optimize mm-hmm. something for the web mm-hmm. for some reason. Mm-hmm. And Q, for some reason, is like the resize thing instead of T. And it's like, I don't understand why That's it's probably the same. historic. It probably is because, because it was Macromedia. Is, yeah, it was a Macromedia yeah. product. But it's annoying. That is annoying. That's just a kind of a complaint. But the more consistent you can make anything, mm-hmm. the better. Definitely. Totally agree. So there's one that probably I'll bet many of us run into on Google all the time, which is in our login windows. On some login windows, you have to enter your full email address. Yes. And on others, it's just the part prior to the at symbol. Is there a name for that segment of the email address, by the way, the part before the at symbol? I'm sure there is. Like M dash. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, sometimes you have to enter the M dash, and sometimes the full email address, and that's really annoying because I, you know, I've watched people do this, and and they enter the wrong, yeah, either you know, too long or too short, and they should just be consistent. They should just pick. If you one, pay really one close attention, you can usually. You tell can. It, I mean, but. actually, yeah, there there are hints there if you look, but you know, yeah. people don't look; they just type. Amen. Amen. John, <laughs> next news item. Next news item. Beat that um, one to death. <laughs> I mean, we talk about usability right? so much. And in, if, if you've never seen a, a usability test uh, or at least a video from a usability uh, test, yes. uh, here's something for you because uh, there's a, a company called usertesting.com and they offer online mm-hmm. testing. And they have released a three-part well, blog post basically entitled The Seven Facebook Usability Mistakes That Drive Users Crazy. Oh. And it's <laughs> really cool. It's very highly structured. It explains what the problems are. It has lots of YouTube videos with actual uh, user tests, and you can listen to what these people are saying while they use the application. And it's so instructive, especially, I mean, this, one of the rules that you hear a lot if you go to UX conferences is that people say, well, how do I do, convince my developers to change how they implemented something? And usually the answer to that is show them testing videos. Yes. Because then they can see that the users really struggle with what you're presenting them with at the time. And so this one uh, has, well, seven items that it found to be lacking in terms of usability, uh, lots of videos, and also suggestions on how to change that. And I like the conversational tone of the entire um, articles, well, three-part article. Uh, and it's also interesting how they describe how it should uh, behave instead. So it's it's pretty long, a um, lot of video time, but I think it's a great example for how you can can run and analyze a user test. So it's it's not really that it's expensive, really but it's it's a very interesting read. Is hmm. it something that you could kind of send someone to that doesn't understand what a usability test is about? I think for that it might be a little bit too long. Too but if, okay. if you play a video just to to show them. Um, what what a user test looks like from the perspective of the user, like the test subject. Yeah. Um, I think that that is very helpful. That's cool. So, because I, how long are these videos on the, from the YouTube excerpts? Uh, they're pretty short. Um, they're about a minute or one and a half oh, okay. minutes each. They're really so it's quick. just about okay. details. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to always have a few kind of example videos in your back mm-hmm. pocket because. As any person doing UX design at any company, I'm I'm constantly trying to, to ex- 
describe the value mm-hmm. of what we do. Right. And like just today, not to name any names, because I don't know who at my company listens to this, but <laughs> I was dealing with a product manager who just doesn't get it. And he's like, we got to do this and this. And I said, can we get some usability testing? He's like, sure, let's do that at this next industry conference coming mm-hmm. up. And I said, awesome, big win. I'm excited. And then he emails me back. He's like, so let's work on our pitch next this next week so we have it oh, down. Yeah. But I'm like, pitch? No, no usability testing session <laughs> you know he just wants to show it to people and get you know, tell me what you think would you like it yes or uh, no I'm like that's not the same thing no that's it's, not i mean it it seems to the outside observer like yeah. that that's that's enough mm-hmm. if you just say do you like this yes why not <laughs> okay let's change that mm-hmm. but when you actually do a session and give them tasks and it's a te- yeah, it's you, night you find and day. it it's very different and you ask someone different. whether they like something it's like do you like that car yeah it's totally different than driving that car and experiencing right. what that's like and seeing <laughs> and what issues they run both into. of those inputs are valuable i'm not saying asking an opinion is not but it's for not. different reasons <laughs> for different reasons because okay. if if first impression is i hate it then you might want to do something about that but um, anyway, but that just kind of reminds me of that. It's good to kind of say, you know what? Watch this two-minute clip of a usability session, and here's what it is. Mm-hmm. You know? Totally. I mean, you know, all the time when we're working with clients, whether they're internal clients in the company or external clients that are paying the bills. I mean, people don't. Um, you know, we do what we do all day long, and they don't do our part right. of that job mm-hmm. all day long. Right. So there's no reason to expect that they would understand what we do or why it's valuable. Mm-hmm. So I think that's makes a lot of sense to have some tools that you can quickly show um, to show the value or show what this is. What is a usability test? I mean, people have maybe some conception, but clearly his conception was very different than what you were intending. And and I'm not sure that he's ever seen a usability testing Probably not. I mean, which is why he has what, you know, the picture he has. Yeah. I guess for that, um, for that goal, you could could use a couple of those videos because what you see is that this, these are users just working, working <laughs> does everybody ever work on facebook i'm not sure <laughs> so they they play around with facebook they socialize via facebook um and um they they think out loud right and it, I, I think that they also show good examples for for good testers not that they're familiar with a product but that they know how to approach the test per se um and especially at least the videos that I've watched, you cannot hear an interviewer. So there is not this kind of question that you said, Ron, uh, that somebody might ask, well, do you like this? Mm-hmm. Because what people say is not what they do. And very right. often it's like, oh, did you find this easy to use? Oh, totally, totally. And then you watch the video and you see that you're struggling. Oh, yeah. Um, Classic. And, of course, I mean, the advantage of, of this article is that these are real tests and it's not what you see to – that, that companies use to promote their testing uh, systems. Right. So you would say, oh, and you can uh, enter the task right there, and the user will see this, and the test subject will be filmed, blah, blah, blah. Uh, this is hands-on, so I, I really like this. I mean, there's there's one caveat, so they have a sample size of five testers, so that's that might not be really conclusive, but it's still interesting to see how that the overall test works. And usertesting.com, they do have a service, and I've used it before. It's pretty mm-hmm. good, but this this is just, just generally about faith probably the value of usability testing. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Thank you for bringing that up. Well, as a little postscriptum, it's never the user's fault. I hate it when people no. say how dumb are they? Don't they see the yeah. that little button in the top right corner and 
Well, of course you do. You put it there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wasn't it in a? Was it in um, uh, the Steve Krug book, the first one? Uh, Don't, Don't make, make me, me think. think. Was it in there? Or somewhere he's talking. Somebody was talking usability testing. I, I thought it might be that book where he was describing one usability test, user test, where he was present, and they actually had programmers, you know, in the in the out of the room in a booth with a glass, you know, yeah. mirror and. The programmer was watching someone do the test, and the programmer was so frustrated that the person couldn't figure it out because the programmer thought it was so obvious. He actually screamed out loud, <laughs> "It's right there!" <laughs> and he screamed so loud that the user heard the programmer shout Whoa. this. So they let that person go home for the day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm I gotta say I'm very blessed where I work. The the developers are very good about they're really user centric mm-hmm. so if i say no put it over here they're like okay <laughs> they know that they're that's not their key and i likewise i don't try to tell them how to code you know <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they probably appreciate that yeah. <laughs> and you know what this this makes me think we got to do a, a feature on usability testing cuz sure, i've yeah I've, I've given the talk a couple times like at wordpress or wordcamp or whatever yeah wordcamp last year in boulder mm-hmm. um but uh, I think it'd be good to do a, a feature on the show about that. Maybe we'll do that next time. Yeah, that'd be great. I really love that example with a developer screen. <laughs> you know, that, that reminds me of Law and Order Usability Lab. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so my last news item for the day is uh, there's a, an article that I stumbled across on gigaohm.com mm-hmm, and, and and subsequently came across it uh Elsewhere as well, I forget where. Anyway, the point is that uh, it's about mobile apps. It's entitled, um, let's see, what's it entitled at Gigoma? It's entitled Android Users Only Spend Time on Top Apps. But it's referring to a blog at Nielsen, or a blog post at Nielsen entitled, Mobile Apps Beat the Mobile Web Among U.S. Android Smartphone Users. Mm-hmm. Both interesting points. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what what it's getting at is, if you combine the two together, that only the top 50, uh, of the 250,000 Android apps out there, like 63% of people's time is spent on the top 50 apps out there. Hmm. And likewise, 67% Hmm. of an Android user's one hour per day is on it with apps versus the 33% spent with a web browser. So, you know, this the topic constantly comes up, app or or uh, web app, and so it looks like if you can get your app in the top fifty percent, fifty not fifty percent, sorry, top fifty period. Yeah, I was gonna say that's a really small number of apps. Right. I wonder how that stat compares to iPhone and iPad because there weren't comparative stats, were there? They didn't compare stats, but they did kind of anecdotally mention how the the this just shows the problem of trying to make money with the Android app store basically mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because iOS users are buying a lot more yeah, that so was... if you if you want to sell your app and make money do it on the iOS platform for now anyway because people just spend way more yeah I was just going to say that it seems like iPhone users use a much wider range of apps yeah. than than you know 2 thirds of their time on just the top 50 but that's why I'd be interested to see numbers I mean that's just my Hunch. I don't know that, but it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, I think the last time I checked on my phone, I had like ninety-three apps on my phone, <laughs> and I I don't know how many of those. Is there I some use. place you can actually <laughs> see the count? 
Yeah, it's in it, iTunes maybe. Huh? No, it, no, on your phone oh, under really? General About hmm. um, Applications. Oh, 80. I must have deleted a few. <laughs> yeah, 80. I've 80 apps right now. I like 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 I said though. I don't know how many of those I actually use. There's about five that I use a lot. Like I use the I Audible. Have 72. You have more than me. Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> I use the you Audible win. app a lot, and I use the Cycle Meter app a lot um, with the GPS for my cycling stuff. And uh, Facebook app, and that's about it. I mean, I use the other stuff occasionally, but... Oh, and Angry Birds whenever they put out an update, but then <laughs> it takes me a day to get all three stars and everything, and then it bores me. Wow. <laughs> Just for the record, they're good. I don't get that... Angry Birds. I don't, I don't understand the appeal. Oh. I like Cut the Rope. That's, that's I, oh, thing. that's a oh good one. God, that's, they just I came out with a new that. one. Yeah, I saw yeah, that. Like cut the Rope experiment. Oh, man, I, I saw a comment on the either the new or the older version. I think they're both like 79 euro cents or like a dollar in the U.S. Yeah. And this guy complained that they didn't update the old application but instead released the new one for a oh, buck. Come on. And think, come on. Check the, check the pricing of your the phone. Value. And you complain about a buck? I mean, seriously. Well, the value of any app for a buck. I mean, come on. How many hours did that take? You know what else we need to interview sometime? Uh, We should get Sarah Jane back on here now that she's working for Occipital down in Boulder. I didn't know what she was doing in Boulder. Yeah, so she's working with Occipital. They make uh, the app Red Laser Mm -hmm. uh, for the iPhone, barcode scanner. Oh, uh And they make another, at least one more app, if not maybe several more apps. And um, I was was just talking with her last Tuesday down in Boulder, uh, Boulder Open Open Coffee Club, and she was saying they run into this all the time that uh, I think their app is, yeah, it's either 99 cents or 199. Mm-hmm. And people call or email all the time with like wanting these features in these upgrades. And they're like, okay, that's really nice. You do realize this is a 99 cent app. <laughs> <laughs> and that feature the would be concept. like, you know, a hundred thousand dollars of development work. It's amazing what it's amazing what the mobile world has done to the concept of value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and she was noting, you know, that they get this over and over that people pay for it once and then expect, you know, upgrades forever for free. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a dollar, people. <laughs> we have to pay the bills somehow yeah. and eat food and you know send our kids to college someday right <laughs> but it kind of does work for the omni group i mean if you look at omni focus their task management application there are three different versions mm-hmm. for the mac for the iphone and the ipad and so there is is no um what do they call that for the ios device if it runs on ipad and iphone i want to say Hybrid universal app yeah universal. I, think it's called I think it's universal um and they're all very pricey and still people buy them because there's a huge yeah the ipad app is 40 bucks I think it's I bu- like forty and an iPhone. I bought the iPhone or something. OmniFocus was yeah. twenty, mm-hmm. and then desktop is like sixty mm-hmm. or something. But, but I bought it, them. But if it does, you know. if it does what you right. need and it makes you more productive, I mean, what's you know, uh, GPS TomTom app was exactly. uh, you know worth it? It's like sixty-five bucks or something for the U.S. and Canada, and then another twenty for a one-year subscription to Traffic. Mm-hmm. But man, you miss one traffic jam or get rattled mm-hmm. around it. That is worth twenty bucks. Totally. That's worth a lot Went more. Went to than Denver the other bucks. day. For a concert, and it took me forty-five minutes to go two miles because oh, we had traffic. Oh, you needed my traffic app. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. So, I'd like to talk about our podcast sponsor for the listeners of Einstein and Sock Monkey. Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a fourteen-day membership trial to give you a chance to check out their service. And uh, today, John has the Audible pick of the episode which is The Paradox of Choice by Barry Schwartz. Um, hmm. And what Schwartz talks about is if 
usually people say if, if you have a, a broad range of choices if you want to purchase something or if you want to make a pick on whatever the more choice the better but turns out the more choice you have the more time you need to make a decision you might have right. buyer's regret and all that i witness and this every time i go to a restaurant with my wife oh <laughs> <laughs> she self-admits it if the menu is really long she says this is horrible there's so many choices i have to read them all yeah uh that usually happens to me when I go grocery shopping with my girlfriend. <laughs> and you just look at the aisle with a cereal or with a, I don't know, with, with anything. There's just, you know, it doesn't really make sense. You just stand there and, and some of the items are kind of similar, but still have this huge choice. And <clears throat> in fact, Barry Schwartz mentions the selection of uh, salad dressings at his grocery store as one example for the huge choices we have. And he explains what the drawbacks are, and he explains why we make our decisions uh, based on what psychological principles, like framing or anchoring. Listen mm. to the book to find out what that is, because it's highly interesting. And he has a chapter on uh, how you might try to change your behavior, make more aware choices to, to not fall into the traps that are uh, the, the, the drawbacks of having too much choice. So that's yeah, an few, awesome. fewer, fewer choices are often better. You know, I mean, it's quicker to make a decision at a restaurant, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like to have some choice, but at a, at a certain point you think, well, it's just too much. And I've seen some studies somewhere along the way that talked about, you know, they've done uh, grocery store choice studies mm -hmm. and that when you narrow it down to a smaller number of choices, they actually sell more stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's touched upon, touched on in the, uh, in the book. Not in this book. I haven't read this one. I'm really glad you brought this up because I was looking for some nonfiction book to read. Or listen to. <laughs> um, On your record player, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> Eight track. <laughs> no, it, it, this, that, that concept is kind of briefly uh, hit upon in the, um, not, uh, it's going to leave me, the, uh, another book <laughs> <laughs> that I read recently. That's maybe really something by Seth Godin because you like reading his stuff so no, much. No, no, it's not important. <laughs> but you know, here, here's an example, and I'm I'm sorry that I'm such an Apple fanboy, but I think one of the first things that that Steve Jobs did when he came back to Apple was just massively cut down on the product lines. Yes. So when he came in, he had one consumer laptop, one professional laptop, one consumer desktop, one professional desktop. That was it. And I remember trying to buy a Dell computer for a, for a client of mine, and. I ended up buying a, a Mac Mini and running Windows 7 on that machine via boot camp <laughs> because, uh, I mean, I, I'm an engineer by trade, but when I looked at all these options on, on the Dell website, I just couldn't make sense of it. It just took too long. And I said, okay, I need a, a, um, a hard drive this size. I need about that kind of RAM and processor should be about that fast. That's all I need to know. Mm -hmm. Went to the Apple website, was done in five minutes and spent maybe an hour at Dell and do you need a game port adapter? I thought, what? <laughs> it was just, you know, too much choice. Sometimes it's literally it's not too good. much choice. Exactly. Yeah. It's predictably irrational, is the ah, book. Ah, there we okay. go. There you go. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry. I, that's no, that's great. Do you know who the author is? <laughs> the author? Yes. Dan Ariely. Hmm, I haven't heard that name before. Yeah. But no, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because I, I love books like that kind of psychology. And that, and this is very valid and, and applicable to web design mm -hmm. and UX stuff. Oh, absolutely. Because if you've got a store, a web store, you know, the default could be, oh, I have a billion items on there like Amazon. Mm -hmm. But if you have just like 10 products or something that don't try to have everything in the world, just stick with what you're good at and it makes yeah. it easier for people to decide on top of that too. Mm -hmm. so. Exactly. Cool. Thanks for that recommendation. 
So to uh, download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com forward slash Einstein. So my blog pick of the episode is uh, a subcategory of the Think Vitamin blog. So um, uh, like many websites, they have categorized blog posts, and I like their web apps uh, category because as a web developer and following mobile and web apps in general, mobile doesn't necessarily mean web apps, but you know. Um, anyway, they do post just once a month or so on that particular category, um, but they often have very good articles about uh, web app development. And that's one of the things that they do very well at Think Vitamin, and that uh, and Ryan Carson of Carsonified um, uh, started that blog. So it's um, and then he and his people uh, are the ones who <laughs> who blog there. So anyway, it's a, it's a good blog if you're a web app developer. You can follow that specific category. Good content. Cool. Um, I found a blog that. At first sight, might focus on visual design a little bit too much, but if you actually read the articles, it's really insightful. And it's called Brand New. And um, Brand New, they look at redesigns of company icons or company, you know, logo brands oh, or brand logos, whatever. Nice. <laughs> um, and they talk about the the business, the marketing, and the design aspects. Hmm. Uh, they look at typography. Um, there's a very vibrant community with uh, meaningful comments on that website. And even if you're not doing visual design, I think it's really interesting to see what kind of aspects people associate with uh, the branding of a of a company, and also just the the eye for detail. Uh, I think the the most recent blog post I saw was for the American Home Brewers Association mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And the uh, <clears throat> and the new logo has this kind of um, jagged um, outline. Looks kind of like and the gears of a bike. Exactly, but it looks like the um, the the lid on a beer bottle. Oh, that's what it is, right? And, and <laughs> that's at first you, what, what what is that? And you. You know, maybe sometimes it might not be that helpful to, to learn all the details about the meaning behind the logo uh, because that might make it too rational the, the way you approach it. But I think it's a very, very, in, well, inspiring. That's such an overused word. But still, it's an inspiring blog because it shows you how people that are in the business of creating that kind of stuff perceive of the changes that others implement. Mm. So that's, I, I really like that. Cool. Well, my blog pick is, back to the show notes, it is, a, well, a list apart. I We cut, we cut, we talk about a list apart, like around the edges. It as yeah, a blog totally. Before. Right, it's like one of those, <laughs> when I saw that, I'm like, we've never talked about I know, that. it's one of those blogs, it's so obvious. Yeah. It's like, I would recommend Google for a search engine, <laughs> <Right>. you know? <laughs> um, but the, a list Use apart. Bing. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> um, I, I really, if you don't read the List Apart blog, then you're really missing out on a lot of stuff. And I'm not sure where you've been your whole life. What they have, they have um, uh, a ton of writers from all, it's all along the range of from developer to designer to UX person, et cetera. And they have really in depth stuff that's really well written and really cool little drawings that go along with it. It's, it's, it's an extremely well done site in general. But um, I, uh, the, some of the, I just read an article, a, a primer or primer, however you say it, on A-B testing, mm-hmm. which is great. 
um, perception language and the web, things like that. So mm-hmm. definitely go to alistapart.com and uh, subscribe post haste. And they have a pretty nice editorial calendar. I mean, they actually publish it as essentially an online web magazine. That's kind of the intent. Oh, they do. Yep. And they so they publish twice a month. It might be every two weeks. I'm not sure if it's twice a month or every two weeks. But and then they always publish two articles with each issue, if you will. That is right. It does say issue three thirty three right now. Yep. And then, cool. I didn't. I. I I'm so observant. <laughs> <laughs> so I always wonder why it said issue number at the top. Yep. And, Yep. Okay. Boy, I feel smart. I think that's exactly the kind of articles, long form articles, very solid. Yeah. It's just the perfect stuff to write in, uh, to, to write, see, wishful thinking, uh, to read an Insta paper on an iPad on the sofa on a Sunday morning. That's just perfect. What about, can I do like Monday afternoon? <laughs> I'm not sure. Aren't, aren't you at work on Monday afternoon? <laughs> uh, no comment. I just like the atmosphere of a Sunday morning read. It's just, yeah, cool. The brain is still. People of understanding new stuff. Like Friday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Monday afternoon is fine. Okay, th- thank you for your permission. Yeah, <laughs> you bet. So are we done? Yeah, go ahead. All right, so uh, <laughs> thanks to Josh Mulligan for doing the show notes. Uh, thanks to John We're having too much fun Walters <laughs> for joining thanks us. Thanks for having me. Yet again, we love having you on and... Uh, well, sorry that you'll be back over in Europe for a bit, but I'm sure we I'm will coming back have you on at some point uh, in person or by Skype or something or other. Uh, thanks to the Hive at HiveFC, as in HiveFortCollins.com, for the use of the recording studio, so to speak. Yeah, and don't forget to visit the website, EinsteinAndSockMonkey.com. Long URL, but it's totally worth it. <laughs> and uh, we have... Um, to ask you to make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes if you haven't yet and rate us there. Um, one thing before we finish closing, I did want to mention that I, um, before we move along, you mentioned Ignite Fort Collins was coming up. Mm-hmm. And a couple weeks after that, TEDx Boulder is coming up. And I wanted to let everybody know about that. Cool. I just awesome. bought my tickets last night, front row. Woohoo. Ooh, nice job. Um, but it, they have some really cool uh, speakers that are going to be there. I went to it last year, and uh, but the the speaker lineup looks even better this year. Awesome. And they then the the musical guest is Kimia Dawson. I don't know if you've heard of her. No. She did a lot of the music for the Juno soundtrack. Uh huh. Yep. If you're familiar yep, with that, I know the movie. Yeah, I saw yeah. the movie. So anyway, that's uh, TEDxBoulder.com. So I just wanted to kind of plug that. Uh, one of my uh, not friends, acquaintances, <laughs> is uh, Andrew Hyde is is uh, heading that up. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is he back in Boulder? Yeah, he's back in Boulder. He did oh. his like one year travel okay. around the globe thing. Okay. But he's back in Boulder doing stuff like that oh, again. Very so. cool. Very cool. And for those who don't know, there was one TEDx event in Fort Collins. Right. And so there might be another one in the future. I don't know what the status of that yeah. is exactly. But uh, if you enjoy the TEDx stuff, uh, look for TEDx Fort Collins as well. There, there may be one again since we've had one. There's likely to be cool. another. And Nick Armstrong organized Yeah, he it, was he? one of the organizers for, for yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Was, I think it was out of town that weekend, but cool. Well, anyway, you can find me at uh, clevercubed.com and on Twitter. I not doing the Twitter thing so much. I'm kind of Google plusing it and Facebooking it Google more often. Google plusing it. Yeah, that's a verb. <laughs> that's, that's almost an idiom. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what but, did you call me? <laughs> <laughs> but clever cubed at, on Twitter and uh, Steve Martin on Google Plus. I guess they're still sticking with the real lame thing. I know it's crazy, Plus. isn't it? I don't know. 
And you can find me, John Walters, at uiobservatory.com. And uh, click on the Twitter link on that webpage because it's so so annoying to always have to to spell that out. <laughs> Check out the show notes. Just change your name. Oh, yeah. Exactly. John W. There you go. Then you have to move to Texas, though. That's not so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's scary. And, and you can Ron. find me on Twitter at Ron underscore Z or on the web at codegeek.net uh, or Google Plus, gplus.to slash R-O-N-Z-A-S. Oh, it's working again. Yes, it's working again. I need to do that. Good idea. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you guys next time. So long. Einstein and Sock Monkey is sponsored by CodeGeek.net, a full-service web design and development agency, and CleverCubed.com, providing user experience design, usability testing, and information architecture, and presented by Ron Zazadinsky and Steve Martin. Music provided by the band Black Lab. Find them at BlackLabWorld.com. Yeah.